Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to join us. I am the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional. Those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. In this episode, I'm going to speak with a highly respected authority on the psychology of change, specifically about the return to work. Many have adjusted to the new realities presented by the coronavirus, and yet states and workplaces alike are reopening their doors. What does that mean for those of us who stayed home? What if we don't want to go back? What if we can't? Can it even be done safely? And does anyone feel like maybe this whole thing's being rushed? We're pleased to have with us today Michelle Rosen, PhD. She is an author, a Huffington Post contributor, and a frequent guest on NBC, ABC, Fox News, CNN, and other media outlets. Uh, Michelle holds a master's and a PhD in psychology. She consistently speaks for Fortune 500 companies, and her clients include some of the most recognizable companies in the world, including Johnson Johnson, Merrill Lynch, and the U.S. Navy. Thanks so much, Michelle, for joining us today. I'm so glad to join you. My pleasure as well. Why don't we jump right in? Um, for, the, for those of us who kept our job, and it's not everybody, uh, and that we're able to work remotely, and that also isn't everybody, but it's a lot of us. Uh, do you think going back is even a good idea right now? I think there's a process here, and we have to respect the fact that there's a process. And uh, somehow I'm getting the feeling that sometimes we're rushing the process a little bit. Um, there's been a major event in all of our lives for all companies, and I think we need to talk about a process of going back and figuring things out. The process is different from company to company, and it's also different from person to person. Because while for some people going back to work on premise is very important because of the nature of their work or the nature of their work environment at home, such as let's say if they have very young kids and they have a very hard time being productive, uh, for others, it would work completely differently. So I think we're required here to honor the process and focus on the process rather than on the end result. Yeah, I feel very similarly. It's um, I know it's been three months and people are getting antsy. Um, organizations believe that maybe they're missing a certain momentum. Um and that they won't be able to get it back if they wait any longer. But wishful thinking and hope have never been substitutes for reality. And the reality is, is that this disease is out there in huge numbers. It just, you know, one of the things I have to remind people all the time in my lives is that when we first heard about coronavirus in the United States, it was only a few people had it. Five people was when I first, you know, when I went to look up for the first stats. Yeah. And that spread to millions. Yeah. Uh, because, and there's no reason to believe that that's any different now. Yes, we have some protocols in place. We've all learned quite a bit about it. We can minimize it. But I mean, this thing is so infectious. It's foolish to think that we can just open all the doors up. And some places have done that and they're already uh, seeing the negative results. Yes. I think that this is the time for leaders to shine. And this is the time for people to shine. 
because difficulties and challenges that we're seeing as leaders within teams on a day-to-day basis before coronavirus, you know, life was challenging enough before, we're seeing now at a greater magnitude. And this is the time for leaders to shine in terms of leading their teams through this difficulty and being there for them, being compassionate, facilitating a process that will make everyone feel safe and will help everyone be their best through that process. Now, this is very challenging because we don't know how long the process is, and there may be other changes and other surprises on the way. But I think this is something that every leader needs to tell himself or herself every morning. This is my time to shine. I have a moral responsibility to be the best leader that I can be during these challenging times. Yeah, I mean, responsibility is really what it comes down to, isn't it? It seems like before the coronavirus, the productivity talk was almost becoming like a uh, something you just didn't talk about, not openly with your employees, because and I think it's part and parcel with this move away from HR as a word or phrase towards people, officers, you know, which is that we're not resources, we're people. Right. And we're it's not all about our productivity, though that's important. And then the coronavirus happened, everyone got home, and suddenly everyone's talking about productivity again. Yeah. Um, because they're, they're afraid that employees aren't going to be able to do the same amount of work at home. And in some cases that's true, in some cases it isn't. But it was like a couple things happened at once. We went remote. We went highly digital. Everybody had to have some sort of conferencing uh, software or technology. But at the same time, that conversation has been rooted back into the conversation about productivity. Uh, what do you think about that? I think that the topic of productivity was always there. And like other topics, I think what the current pandemic did, it made it surface up. The difficulty in balancing work life in harmony, the difficulty in keeping yourself focused, motivated, engaged, the difficulty that leaders had in keeping their teams motivated and engaged through organizational changes prior to the pandemic is now at the extreme. And that's the, I mean, you can't really say there's anything good about this situation because you'd have to really be oblivious to all the pain and the, and the disease. And there's a lot of negative, but the only good thing there is is that in extreme situations, we see very clearly things that we didn't necessarily see before or that didn't surface before. And so the topic of productivity is a really important topic for people in general, inside and outside of work. How do you keep yourself focused in spite of distractions? And there's a tendency of the brain, even before coronavirus, without this huge disruption, to, you know, go on autopilot and not always be focused. And it's a huge problem because it stands in the way of productivity. So this is the time to teach ourselves and lead others in terms of how do you do that? How do you motivate other people to do great teamwork with you? How do you keep yourself focused and 
battle the distractions. Those are very, very important topics for success in general. In one of the, I was just having this uh, kind of this part of this conversation just earlier today. And one of the things we were talking about is spe- specifically getting distracted, uh, taking breaks and goofing off, hmm. which in the workplace settings, particularly in an office setting, uh, everyone is going to goof off and stop working at some point because humans aren't designed to sit for eight hours and do the same task or do can concentrate tasks over and over again. And what that looks like is depends on what your workplace is. If your workplace is very open, it might be you get to go for walks and everyone's cool with that. If your workplace is a little bit more conservative, it might be you have to stare at your screen and pretend to work while you're dazed off, right? right. And one of the interesting things about coming home is that the quality of your goofing off goes way up. You know, I get to, I, I'm going to take a break, whether I'm at work or I'm at home, that's just going to happen. And when I'm at home, I get to do something fun instead of just pretending to work, you know, and then that really, I, for me, and I know it's not the same for everybody, but it really energizes me to like, okay, I'm going to jump back in now. And uh, I feel like maybe my time isn't being as wasted as it might feel when I'm just pretending to work at my computer. Absolutely. And what you're saying is so important because you can then take the same skill that you're describing now. That's basically a time and energy management skill where you understand that you can't just keep going, going, going because the brain gets very tired and the brain does need a break. Um, The brain consumes about 20% of our energy just to get by. That Mm. means that when we're focusing on an assignment, And when we're at our very best um, in working on an assignment, we're wasting a lot of energy, spending a lot of energy. And the brain is going to want a break. And it's important for the brain to get a break because then on your next assignment, you'll be really good again. So this is a skill that you need to have in terms of managing yourself throughout your day. What you just described in your home life should be adopted by companies and should be allowed in some ways. It's great for an employee to take a break, take a walk and come back. And if you can't do that based on the regulations of your company, it's not culturally acceptable. You can read an article, you know, you don't have to stare at a screen. You can say, oh, there's this great professional article. So I'm going to change my activity, do that and then come back. But you can't be expected to jump from one assignment to the other during the day because at some point you're going to drop the ball. And and no company wants that. Absolutely. There's obviously been a, a lot of changes. Um, people are struggling to catch up. And a lot of organizations went into sort of, you know, threat mode red or whatever you want to call it, DEFCON level four. And they had to make priorities. Yeah. You know, um, I think a lot of those early priorities didn't really look at the people. They were part of the equation, but it's what's what's our cash flow? Can we survive remotely or at all? You know, and if we can, what does that look like? And there's been a lot of things that got put on the back burner. And now it's three months later. And these are the kinds of things that boil over when it's been three months and it haven't been addressed. And that's largely has to do with people issues. Is that something that you're seeing out there or, or that you've had to address? 
It's so important. You're bringing up such an important point because most of what I do is that I work with leaders to teach the soft skills. Not necessarily these are skills that people have in a lot of industries, and they're very helpful to people, not just in the work arena, but also outside of work. Because the same soft skills that you're going to need to apply with a team members that is struggling through a certain organizational change process may work with your mother-in-law or your kid because it's all people. I almost wish that they would teach uh, people skills, soft skills at school on a higher level. You know, I, I know in kindergarten and younger age, they teach some skills, but the basic understanding of how the human mind works, how to motivate another person to work with you rather than against you, how to solve a conflict with another person, how to be compassionate with someone who is struggling um, rather than judge them. Those are very essential skills for leaders. So like anything else through this situation, through this pandemic, everything became extreme. So is the need for soft skills, compassion, understanding of how the human mind works, the ability to understand the leader's role as a guide, as a source of inspiration and guidance, rather than getting impatient with your team members and saying, oh, you know, this person's impossible and this person's difficult and what's up with this person? Why aren't they doing what they are asked to do? And once leaders internalize that role and has and have the tools to be helpful to the team members, it's transformative in terms of numbers and performance and productivity. It makes all the difference in the world. I completely agree. Um, one of the things that's been interesting about this whole experience is the powerful desire that I have, and I know other people have, to want everything to go back to normal. I mean, I do like working from home. There's a lot of benefits, but it's just a powerful instinct that people have to want everything to go back. And when people talk about even just the language about talking, the language of the end of the coronavirus, it's, it's even problematic for me to introduce the concept because there's, there probably isn't going to be an end. Right. I, and there's no such thing really as after coronavirus. It's more like life with the coronavirus. Right. That's taken some real adjustment. And it, there's, I think that there's been a lot of people out there that have just been like hoping that It'll just, it'll end one day and we can all just go back and everything will be fine. And they really have to understand that it's here with us forever in a certain sense, you know, just like the flu's here with us forever, except the problem is, is that this one's a lot more deadly. Mm -hmm. What that means is that there's going to be a bunch of people out there that don't get the nuances of that and start forcing people to come back into the office. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of those people, I don't, I guess my question is, can it even be done? Can you go back to the office safely? And, and that's a good idea. I think it depends on the work environment. I think it depends on the nuances of the company, the technicalities of the work within the company. I don't think there's a safe, I think 
regardless of coronavirus, we have this desire as people to think that we are safe. But the truth of the matter is that we're never safe. The mm. question is just the extent of the risk. If you leave yeah. your house, something can happen every day. If you, uh, I, I read an article about somebody said, a hug will never be safe again. And I was thinking to myself, a hug was never safe. You touch another person, uh, you know, I don't know what that other person has. It's just a matter of how dangerous, how much risk. And that is what we need to mitigate. Now, there are two forces here that are contradicting each other, working one against the other. One is the force of the risk, which we are trying to mitigate. And the other is, is the force of life. We want to live. We want to work with other people. We crave interaction with other people. We really need that interac interaction. It's a huge part of who we are as a species. And so we need to carefully balance the two. I have a lot of respect for the fact that people want to live, fully live. I respect that. On the other hand, we're trying to mitigate a very serious risk. So somehow we have to find a balance between the two. And I think that it's up to leaders and companies to find that balance. But it will not be possible to not live fully. It doesn't, it's not going to last on the longer term. We have to respect that force as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think about the logistics of it. For example, um, we didn't go to the stores for, I don't know, six weeks or something. Yeah. We had what we could get delivered and we went without in other cases. Um, while government struggled to get things under control and while we waited for much needed information to feel safe-ish doing that. And I'll just never forget my first time into a store, how frenzied it felt, you know, with my mask and, and with my hand sanitizer and staying away from people still when I still, when I go, it feels very uncomfortable and I, and we do it as quickly as we can and we get in and out, but even so, and that's the feeling I know that I will have if I go back into the office, because I don't care what you set up. You have half the people there. You have everybody spread out. We're still all sharing a space. I'm still going to have to wear a mask the whole time. Yeah. It's going to be high alert and it's yeah. really hard to focus under yeah. those circumstances. I agree. I agree. I think companies need to respect also people's personal comfort level and there are very distinct differences between companies in terms of the urgency and the importance of pe people being on premise. In some companies, it doesn't matter that much. In other companies, you can't do it any other way. Right. So it's up to each leader to facilitate a process that will help people feel as safe as possible. I can't stress enough how important clarity is. And this is something mm -hmm. that all leaders need to keep in mind. The process itself of facilitating the return to work and the expectation of employees in this process needs to be simple and crystal clear. I think everybody's dealing with enough uncertainty at this point. Nobody needs more uncertainty. So whatever is not clear to any leader 
um, on any level, maybe sometimes it's better to clarify with yourself first to make sure that you fully understand what the regulations are, what the expectations are of each and every team member, and then pass it on to the team to make sure everybody's clear because everybody has enough noise at this point and everybody's anxious enough. We don't need more anxiety and we don't need more uncertainty. So whatever you can do as a leader to mitigate that on your end will help people feel safer no matter where they are in that process of getting back to working on premise. And it will help them be more productive because when people are anxious, they have a very hard time being productive. I know all about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just briefly a little bit about myself. You know, I I have ADD. um, And so focus is something that it's a commodity for me that I have to spend a lot of effort to grasp under the best of circumstances. Yeah. You know, and so I I just, I'll never forget that last day before we all got sent home where, you know, we knew it was out there. Maybe some of our employees had coronavirus. We didn't know for sure. And that, that energy of that claustrophobia, I didn't get anything done that day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I realized it can be mitigated to a point and not everyone's lucky to be able to come home and be comfortable too. Cause there's also a lot of people out there that went home to very bad circumstances. Um, and they're probably really want to get, get out. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I, I guess just so many things got brought to the front. So many things got brought up to the surface, you know, like I believe there's a, been a, a massive increase in respect for those workers that went from being basically low paid, uh, weight, low wage workers to being low wage, high risk workers, like, people in supermarket delivery services, people in the meatpacking industry in particular, yeah. you know, um, it just really characterizes things for, for the rest of us, like how important it was for them to have been doing what they'd been doing and how crazy it is for someone to go from being like, let's take a, the grocery store, for example, Are, there's risks, like you mentioned, going to work, but no one signed up for that thinking they were going to be risking their lives. And then all of a sudden they had to, you know, yeah. or, or you get fired. Right. Yeah. It's hard to internalize that. It's hard to, to understand that. And I know that a lot of organizations struggled even under the best of circumstances with, with finding that respect in the first place. And now they, they have to, it's just an interesting space to be in. I mean, um, it's not really a qu- I didn't really ask a question, did I? No, but you, you, you're bringing up such an important point because, like you said, this situation caused a lot of things to, sur- to surface. That's what crisis does. Crisis takes existing issues and makes them extreme. And the only benefit here is that it makes us rethink the way we treat other people, the way we respect differences, the way we become more tolerant to other people's struggles, the way we manage our time, the way we, things that are going on within our families, within our teams, our interactions with other people, those things were all there. Even the anxiety of people to 
in situations that were change saturated situations where there was new leadership, new technology, new regulations, it was always there. Now it's Mm. extreme. And when things are extreme, learning happens. We see it and we address it. So whatever is surfacing right now, you know, it, these are things that we need to handle as leaders and the storms in life, you know, the winter in life, those things come. Crisis happens, bad things happen, all kinds of things happen. We can't prevent that. The only thing that we can do is we can be better equipped in terms of how we handle the winters in life, whether as a company or as an individual. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that um, you reminded me of that I wanted to ask a little bit earlier was when you were talking about being crystal clear in communications, Yeah, uh, obviously critically important. One of the things that's been very confusing about this is how little we knew in the beginning and how rapidly what you're supposed to do changes. Yes. And it seems to me like as leaders get their crystal clear, hopefully communications in place, they also have to make room for when things change. You know, there's going to be probably a vaccine that's going to change things. It won't eliminate all the risk. So it'll be a complicated issue. You know, um, there's going to be, you know, for all we know, something might mutate, might change into something else. The methods for treating it are changing already. They're finding new drugs at work. I mean, it's just, you're going to have to create a, a communication system that builds in the capacity for change. Absolutely. In a change process, it's never linear. There are unexpected changes within every change, even within an organizational change on a regular day to day, there's always the unexpected. Still within that, the clarity piece is at the top of the pyramid in terms of importance, because at any point you can change the regulations, you can change the expectations, you can change the guidelines. You just have to be really clear, very transparent, very present, very articulate in the way you communicate this to the team members. And this is the only thing that will alleviate the anxiety that comes along with change. This is the best service that leaders can provide to their team members. There's another realm that I kind of want to talk about. Um, I've spoken to quite a few professionals over the last three months uh, legal professionals in particular. And one of the things that's happening is that employers are sharpening their claws. They're learning exactly what it means to fire someone remotely, what circumstances they can do, what are the new, what are the, what is the new landscape of what can you do when your employee says, I'm not coming back, you know, and at, at risk for the employees is um, the safety net the unemployment um, benefits, a lot, a lot, a lot of organizations get a little bit punitive with the unemployment, um, trying to prevent people from gathering unemployment, which to me has always been super shocking because it doesn't cost you anything extra if more of your employees go on unemployment. What hasn't been happening is that employees have not been sharpening their claws because they don't have the legal services. They don't have the built-in counsel. They have to go find somebody and pay them a lot of money to get that same advice. True. And I, we're going to get to a point where people are going to start trying to force their employees back to work and their employees are not going to want to go. Yes. And 
how employers handle that is going to define them for a long time. Yes, because the peers of these people are within the workplace and the way the company conducts itself during those times, for better or worse, whatever the choices are, it all feeds back into the culture of the company. So leaders need to make choices here. And sometimes the choices are very hard, but there has to be a certain level of realistic dignity, let me call it that way, in the way the company conducts itself so that it takes the decisions. Leaders need to be able to take the decisions they need to take. And sometimes those are very hard. But on the other end, it can't fire back to the company as something that, you know, employees feel that their peers was treated, were treated unfairly. And when will it ever happen to them? And how committed can you be to a company that doesn't respect you during times of crisis? Absolutely. And that would be round two, because we all we all had an opportunity to see what our employers did when we were confronted with the coronavirus originally. And, you know, there was a lot of public backlash against a lot of very large organizations. Yeah. Um, and almost certainly the same is happening at smaller, smaller businesses, just not as publicly. And now we're sort of at the second gate, you know, how did they do the first time? Now, how are they doing? And this, if, if organizations that failed their employees, during the first part, fail their employees again. Now, there's no opportunity for recovery. That culture is going to be toxic for a long time. It's very, you know, it's an interesting position it, for for employers to find themselves in, having to understand that they have a culture, whether they've been trying to cultivate it or not, that they have a brand that is shared by their talent pool, and their talent pool, if they start bringing down the hammer sending people into into that pool, they all have friends that are in the same the same realm, you know, that work similar jobs. They know all these people professionally. It gets out. And uh, it's a it's a can become quite a big issue, one that could take you years to recover from. Absolutely. How will we be able to talk about employee engagement and motivation when team members are working in such challenging conditions? They're basically asked to do more. And so those that are in the company, stayed with the company, are asked to work in challenging conditions to produce a lot more work because there's less manpower. If you're asking people to do more, you need to do more on your end as well as a leader. It never works one way. It has to work both both ways. So if companies want to use what I call the rule of much more, which means that at times of crisis and challenge, everybody needs to do more for another person, for a team member, so that we can all get through this together. That has to come from leadership as well. Otherwise, there's going to be a significant problem with motivation and engagement. Is there any uh, any good news coming that you can, <laughs> you can think of? <laughs> yes. We need to make it our goal to come out of this better. Because considering that crisis causes underlying issues to surface, 
this is where we need to look at problems and challenges in the eye and become better in terms of the tools that we have as leaders. And when I say leaders, it's not necessarily a leadership position in the workplace. We're leaders just as much for our families, for our kids. We're leaders in a lot of fronts, in our communities. We need to become better. And we need to come out of this better people and with better perspective on our position within the company, within the community, within the family. How can we work better with other people? How can we have better tools to lead through crisis? The winters will come. Crisis comes in all kinds of shapes and forms. We just need to have better tools. Well said. Is there anything else you wanted to add before uh, before we end this? Just that I hope the force of life wins and that we all keep growing and improving and that we get to better times. Well, I would drink to that. Absolutely. If I were drinking at work, which I'm not. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Thanks again, Michelle, for taking the time to join us today. Thank you for having me. You're most welcome. Listeners, we're always interested in suggestions you might have for what HR Works should cover next. Please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast. If you have any thoughts or concerns or uh, just want to say hi, uh, you can also always reach out to me personally at jdavis at blr.com. Thanks for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.